You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. First of all, uh, I apologize. I, uh, it seems as though over the weekend there was some hosting issues, um, and I couldn't really get a hold of anybody because it was the weekend, nobody was working. And um, so we're all cranking out content galore, and it turns out nobody could hear any of it. Um, we did get kind of a decent amount of plays um, I don't know how much of it was older content compared to this, but uh, somebody out there was able to listen somewhere, I guess. But we were we were definitely having some issues, and so I apologize. And I do hope you'd be willing to go back and get caught up on some of the older episodes that uh, weren't being played. But I, I woke up early this morning with the intention of just uh, sending out a tweet that, hey, uh, I apologize, you know, I didn't do Packernet After Dark last night, wasn't going to do a podcast this morning, because what's the point if nobody can hear it? Um, it's not as interesting if we get it working, you know, after the game or something. So I wanted to at least get it resolved first, and I'm typing out the tweet, hey, man, I'm sorry, this sucks, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what, I should probably check just to make sure. And sure enough, they're all playing, and I'll be honest, um, as excited as I was to find out it was working, it was also nice to be like, eh, I'm just going to get up and chill, man. No chilling. Back to work. Um, but I am very excited to be with you. The other part of the announcement that I was going to make, though, on the Twitters, just so that everybody was aware, um, we're going to be doing a live stream for the game. And I know I said I wasn't planning on doing those anymore, but we have a unique opportunity because a lot of the guys from the Packernet Podcast Network are going to be at the game. And so my plan is to do a live stream. Um, It's probably going to be a very long live stream. So I would love it if you guys, whoever, uh, would be willing to come hang out for a long time. You can pop in, pop out, obviously, whenever you want, but just pull up the stream over on uh, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is that's working these days. But um, the plan is we're going to have some of the guys there uh, we'll get them to pop in during the uh, the pregame tailgate, uh, maybe walking up to the stadium. I, I basically, I gave, or I'm going to give out uh, a link that they can just join whenever. So whenever they feel it appropriate to uh, to pop in. But, you know, hitting on some of the bigger points, the tailgate, maybe checking out the uh, the seats. They got some good good spot to watch the game from. Wouldn't mind if they popped in on some touchdown drives or whatever although you know again they're obviously going to be ahead of us but it's fine you guys are going to be ahead of me too because I watch on Hulu and apparently Hulu is just about three plays behind at all times but it is what it is it don't matter I guess if this was like a playoff game or something I'd probably just say you know what this is a cool opportunity but we're not doing it but um yeah so so they'll be able to pop in whenever and then uh at the very least Clayton he's got uh, he's he's holed up at the hotel across the street so he's going to head on over there, pull up a real nice uh, real nice seat, and we'll do a post-game show um, right there. And I think I'm just going to keep it one big, long stream. Um, so the more of you, the better. Because if it's just me trying to fill content, it's going to be me hanging out, um, just watching football, and two people staring at me watching football, wondering why 
why did I agree to this? But if there's a lot of people there, it becomes sort of a Packernet after dark environment where, um, you know, maybe I could even put the phone number up. I could turn the voicemail, you know, go straight to voicemail off and uh, put the phone number up. People can call in. We could chat. Just a thought. We'll see how things go. Anyways, uh, please check out uh, Packernet Podcast on YouTube. Be the easiest way to find me. You'll also be able to go on Twitter, but I won't be able to see any comments. So if you comment underneath the stream on there, I can't see it. Um, Only on YouTube and Facebook, and I don't even know if the Facebook stream works anymore. Um, We'll try to double check and see, but I don't know. So it might just be YouTube. So if you want to come hang out, I would appreciate it. But just go over to YouTube right now and uh, type in Packernet Podcast. Subscribe, hit the little bell notification so you know that we're going live. And, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be anything serious, man. You can watch the game on your TV and just pull it up on your laptop, on your tablet, on your phone. We'll just hang out, you know. Ain't no thing, man. Ain't no thing but a chicken wang. All right, so I want to, first of all, we do have a game today, but I want to look at where we stand right now because obviously this whole playoff implication thing is uh, kind kind of a thing. Since we had some games, we might want to look at it. So at the conclusion of all of those games, the Green Bay Packers right now are sitting at a 6% chance of getting into the playoffs. If the Packers win today, that jumps up to 8%. Whoop-de-doo, right? Um, But if we look at it in a vacuum, that is to say not assuming any other games, if we beat Miami, it jumps up to 20%. If we beat Minnesota after that, it jumps up to 40%. And then if we beat Detroit, it goes to 68%. So somebody here, (laughs) some of these games must have really hurt us uh, because, as I said, it was at 76% prior to. Now, I know um, the, I think the lowest in any one game would have dropped down to about, I don't know, 72-ish percent. So there must have been several games. Um, You know, the, the Giants game, I know, was one of the bigger ones as far as how that would swing things. But if you keep checking all the way down the line, um, all the ones that hurt us by 2% or whatever, and you got a bunch of negative ones, then it apparently dropped us down to 68%. So this week hurt us. There's no doubt about it. Um, we're getting we're getting down to 50-50 if we even win out. So, you know, and again, that this is just one week. If next week the same thing happens, then it is 50-50. And then, you know, by, who knows, by the time week four or the fourth week rolls around, we might be sitting at like a 40% chance even if we beat, you know, Detroit or something. Or it could go the other way. Who knows? I don't know. A couple of games uh, that would be the most interesting would be the uh, Eagles losing to Dallas would actually bump us up to 70%, which is weird. Seattle, again, is a uh, pretty big one. If the Chiefs beat Seattle, it bumps us back up to 71%. Again, these are each individual. How they work in combination with each other is, obviously, I'm not going to go through every single combination. I'm going to do them independently. And then you've got, I think Washington and the Giants are still the biggest ones. If the 49ers beat Washington, it jumps us up to almost 80%. So, um, yeah, that's pretty big. If, however, Washington wins... It drops us to 42%. And again, this this is assuming we win all four games. So not only do we win tonight, we beat Miami, Minnesota, and Detroit. If Washington wins next week, even despite that, we're all the way down to, uh, what did I say, 42%, sub-50% in just one game. This is, this is how bad this, uh, this situation is. Similarly with the Giants, we're actually rooting for the Vikings, which makes me sick, and it's part of the reason why I don't like any of this. But if the Vikings do beat the Giants, it uh, bumps us up to 72%. If the Giants win, we're at 59%. The Bucks arizona game, if the Bucks win, it doesn't really change very much. However, if the Bucks lose to Arizona, that drops us down a little bit, down to looks like 66%. If the Lions beat Carolina, it drops us down to 63%. But if Carolina beats Detroit, that brings us up to 73%. So that's a big one, Lions and Carolina. And unfortunately, it's Lions and Carolina. So there's every reason to believe that that's going to suck. 
But there's there's minor changes, but those are, I guess, sort of the big ones. And this is all via 538 and their model. I know ESPN has one. It may vary depending on all their stuff. And there's I think there's another one where you've got um, the odds and whatnot, which, again, might be different. But it's just sort of give you to give you a general idea of what our odds are sitting at. Right now, what did I say, 6%? Yeah, right now, 6%. If we win, it goes up to, well, yeah, 8%. It does this weird thing where it, like, fluctuates. So it's probably 8-point-something percent, near 9 By the way, since we're talking about numbers, can I just uh, tell you something that dawned on me the other day? My wife showed me a picture of a guy or girl or whatever, mutant, that um, had a lottery ticket that was one number off. You know what has dissuaded me from playing the lottery more than anything else that I've ever thought of in my life, aside from the fact that you're just going to lose all the time? Because I don't really mind it. Here's, Here's like three bucks. Just just so I don't wake up tomorrow and think, what if? You know, if I wake up tomorrow and somebody won from the gas station down the street and I'm going to think that I wouldn't have spent like a couple bucks, I would just lose my mind. So it's it's $3 for peace of mind that I at least did my due diligence. And when I see somebody in Kentucky won, I can just say, okay, whatever. It's just to help me sleep. But you know what I realized? Do you know how many people must have lottery tickets that are one number off? I'm I'm talking one number for each of those. There must be dozens and dozens of those before we actually get a winner. Think about it. If you get the exact combination, how many different combinations of one number off are there? If the number's 50, then it could be 49 or 51. And for the next number, it could be, let's just say it's 50 across the board, 49, 51, 49, 51. And every combination therein, whether it's 50s across the board, 49s across the board, 49, 50, 50, da, 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 there's, there's a ton of combinations. There's only one combination of the winning lottery ticket. So there must be, again, dozens and dozens of people who not only are off by one, like the first number is 50 and they have 49. Oh, man, I almost got the first number. No, 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 no. All the numbers, you are one number off. Dozens of people have that. And so the odds of you getting that and absolutely being tormented by the universe are significantly higher than that of you actually winning. That sucks. You know how much that would haunt people? I can't imagine. There, there are probably at this point in time thousands of people out there who have had that happen to them. How many of them struggle to get out of bed in the morning? Just thinking about it. Or, or even the people that were one number off. You have to assume there were more people that were just one, you know, they hit every single number. And, and granted, I think you win if you get that, especially if you get like the first, what, how many numbers are there? Five? If you get the first four in a row and then don't hit the last one, I think you get a pretty big whatever. But still, there are a lot of them. There have to be lots and lots and lots and lots of people that were one number off. Again, thousands that are out there that were one number off. I can't imagine that. I'm sure some people are cool and taking stride like, oh man, that's crazy. But I tell you what, especially if it's like in order, because I, I always thought if I see that first number and it matches and I see that second number and it matches, I know, like I won. Like this is, this is, this is it. Because, I mean, the odds are just ridiculous. This is just, this is the universe telling me that it's my time. Which I know that sentence doesn't make sense, but it's just, it's just, it's just a feeling. You know? It's like momentum in a football game. There's no such thing as, as actual physical force called momentum, but it really is there. And I'm going to address it as such. It's like Mother Nature. It's just a way for people that don't want to say God to describe order in the universe. Mother Nature finds a way. You know there's not a Mother Nature, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just easier. It's shorthand, you know? I don't have to think about how this possibly came to be. I don't know. Freaking chemistry or something? Physics? One of them. I don't know. Mother Nature. Anyways, there would be a feeling that this is it. This is the moment, man. The first two. And I'd probably have to find somebody and be like, you, you read it. You figure it out. I read the first two. I'm positive I won, but I can't keep reading I'm physically unable. Please continue reading that ticket. And I'm going to see their eyes get bigger and bigger and bigger as they continue reading the numbers. And I'm going to think, you've got to be kidding me. This is actually happening. And then they have that dopey little, oh, it was so close. And be like, no, you can't. You can't read it again. Don't do this to me. Why are you making that face? It's impossible. 
because I'm too stupid to realize there is no physical force in the universe. They're just numbers, and they're random. And there's a thousand times higher chance that I'm going to miss by one number than to hit all the numbers, which is, as I said, the biggest reason to never play. Anyways, um, well, speaking of uh, the games this weekend, I will say, although things didn't always go exactly as we would have wanted as Packer fans, football was kind of awesome a little bit. I mean, let's detach ourselves from the nightmare that was uh, the Vikings game and the stupid freaking Colts for blowing, you know, the, the, the a 33, 33 to nothing lead. Ugh. Let's forget the fact that um, we had to root for the 49ers as Packer fans. Let's detach ourselves from the reality that the Bears almost beat the Philadelphia freaking Eagles. And that Detroit won again. And that Kansas City nearly lost to Houston. But as always, and I told my son this when it was close at like halftime, I guarantee you the Chiefs are going to win. In fact, down to the last second, I said that. If we don't worry about all that stuff, this was one of the better weeks of football that I can remember. I know at one point they had said that every single game being played at noon was within one score. So we had the greatest comeback in NFL history. Every single noon game was within one score, even games that definitely should not have been. Seattle-San Francisco was down to one score. I mean, the, the, the Vikings-Indy came down to overtime. Baltimore got pummeled by Cleveland, which makes me happy because, I don't know, I don't like teams that are generally good, and Baltimore's generally good, so, haha, suck it. Um, Buffalo-Miami was close. The Chicago game, which I hate to, I mean, depends what you mean by good game. It was close. It was a disaster of a football game. Uh, Philadelphia decided that this would be the the first week of the season, especially Jalen Hurts, that's not going to play very well. I don't know if it's cold weather or what. I mean, you play for Philadelphia, figure it out, dude. But as somebody that hasn't watched a ton of Jalen Hurts, I have to assume that was one of his worst games because that was garbage. But again, down to the wire, physical football game. Both quarterbacks I thought were going to be taken out on stretchers, such as the way of the mobile quarterback, though. Dallas did actually lose to Jacksonville. We finally got an upset. I was begging for a Vikings upset, and we got robbed of that. Uh, I was begging for a Buffalo upset. We got robbed of that. Um, I mean, I wasn't begging for a Chicago upset, but we nearly got that. We didn't. But finally, Jacksonville did actually beat Dallas, so that was fantastic. I'm a little sad I didn't get to watch it, but it was awesome. Uh, Houston-Kansas City, was an. I was so mad because they did cut to that game. Right after I told my son, no, we can't watch it. It's not here. He goes upstairs for a minute, and then they cut to the game, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I suck. But that stupid jagwad quarterback, man, I swear. Overtime, Kansas City gets it. Defense hold. Texans have it. All you have to do is kick a field goal. This freaking dummy decides to break the pocket, run for it, and just hold the ball out all willy-nilly. Oh, what do you know? Some defender catches him from behind because he runs like a 6-4-2. Talking about the quarterback, not the defensive tackle that caught him from behind. Hits the ball out. Chiefs recover. Next play, runs it in for a touchdown. Freaking idiot. You have the opportunity as a one-win team. The worst team in football has an opportunity to beat maybe the best team in football. And you freaking blew it. 14-point underdog, and you blew it. The Raiders game was fantastic. I didn't watch it, anything other than the last play. But as you know, somebody who's casually rooting for Devontae and still can't stand the Patriots because of how scarred I am for the 20-year run that they were on, uh, that was a glorious finish. Backwards pass that turned into a, was it a fumble recovery or an interception? I think it was a fumble recovery picked up by the Raiders, and he walked it in for a game-winning touchdown. And Tampa lost to Cincinnati. Uh, but you know, Giants Washington was also pretty, I mean, it was within eight points. So I mean, just, just if you can detach yourself from our own desires, it was a great weekend of football. In fact, somebody had made the comment, you probably heard it cause you probably got the same games as I did, but I, I heard somebody make the comment that, um, the margin of victory this year is nine points, which is like the lowest since 1935. Which, again, just goes to show why this is such a weird year and why I really struggle to completely buy into just it's the change in defense thing because defenses evolve every single year since 1935. Why have we never had this again since 19... And you know why it's 
1935. It's not really a similarity between 1935 and today, other than they're low-scoring games. Obviously, the margin of victory is going to be lower if the scores are lower. There's a lot more 17-14 wins as opposed to 35-24 wins, which was a standard, you know, victory, I don't know, for most of my life until this year, but I don't know. Weird, 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 weird year. And again, the, the, the complication I have just looking forward is, do we take this season as the NFL moving forward and, and adjust accordingly? And I don't even exactly know what that means. I mean, you, you could look at it and say, hey, get a high-powered offense, because if you can be one of the few teams to get to 25, 26 points in a game, you steamroll everybody. And even, I mean, if you think about it, even garbage defenses are allowing like 20 points a game. But anyways, why don't we take a uh, an early break here, because I want to launch into this game, uh, and I want to just be able to, once we get started, not have to stop. It's four degrees outside. That explains why taking the trash cans out was so miserable. <laughs> it's probably up to four degrees right now. Um, why don't we take a break? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so directly over there. Also, Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, you can find them over at FertileGroundRanch.org. Please check them out, read it over, see if it's something you'd be willing to support. If nothing else, please keep them in your prayers. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So I know this is somewhat of a clown show, the uh, uh, Skip and Shannon thing. Uh, I don't really see it as a serious show. I see it as um, two guys that are asked to take separate sides of an issue. I don't think they really ever agree, and I think that's on purpose. I think they're being told that you have to take one side, you take the other. And then just with as much absolute bluster and bravado as you can, say all the things that you need to say. But anyways, I was going through, and and as always, I'm combing through videos and podcasts just trying to spark thoughts. And it sparked something, so I'm going to kind of go through this a little bit. But they're talking about Baker Mayfield, right? And there's, there's really two trains of thought on Baker Mayfield. Number one, he absolutely shredded it last week. Amazing comeback, all that. Um, 
And so there's reason to believe that the Rams are rejuvenated and are better off and things are going to be great. The other is Baker was bad in that game. Baker is a garbage quarterback. Baker is a complete disaster. Last week was a complete fluke, and he's going to be exposed in this game. I'm going to play this, and then I'll tell you why I don't really think it's either of those things. It's here. You know he's a placeholder for Matthew Stafford. Mm. The Rams are 4-9. They're not going anywhere. Baker, I mean, as, as, as much as you want to gloat about him, he only had a 60 QBR, mm-hmm. which, which brought it up from 18.2 to 23.5, mm. but he's still absolutely dead last. Mm. Nine points behind Davis Mills. Mm. So what you saw was as good as it's going to get for Baker Mayfield playing quarterback for the Rams. Really? Now he comes back down to earth and... Shannon Sharp, I'm warning you, Baker Mayfield's life just changed. Put something on it. He just changed Sean Put something on it. I will put something. I'm not going to put something on it Monday night. I think it's going to be Why like not? three degrees at kickoff. I think that's what's going to You do be. realize it's going to be three degrees for the Packers too, right? And by the way, I don't think <laughs> Baker will be bothered by an away crowd because he basically played an away home game the other night because that crowd was packed with Raider fans. They took over it's the stadium. It's always packed with everybody else's fans. He was having so to fun. go silent count at home yeah. because they were screaming uh-huh. so loud at him. Yes. I thought he was extraordinary, but you I told you from the start, it was a great click that, that McVay wanted him. Baker wanted to come here. He'd already uh-huh. made his air reservations even before the waiver wire took place right. because he was going to join Sean McVay, who right. believes in him, who loves to call plays for Baker, and Baker knows that Sean's play calls are what he needs to do. There, there's going to be great vibe going back and forth, and however good Baker can be for a bad football team that had lost six in a row – he will be at Green Bay. His offensive line is b- at least bottom five in the league. He well, so where is he right Obviously, for- Cooper Cup is gone for the year. Allen Robinson is gone. You're throwing to Ben Skoranek, and yeah. you did that. You, Van you Jefferson, that. yeah. It was one of the great performances of the year under the circumstance against a Raiders team that had won three straight The Raiders, come on, don't do that, Skip. Don't do that. I'm doing it because he did that to them. Hey. And by the way, could we just... All right, good enough. So... I kind of fall on a little bit of both sides. Um, as far as Shannon Sharp, I, I well, the, the anti-skip position, I don't necessarily agree with Shannon Sharp, but the anti-skip position that it was one of the all-time great uh, games, performances, whatever, no, it wasn't. And, and, and the problem is, even if you say, well, that's because, it's what Bears fans do, it's because of the offensive lines, because of the wide receivers, it's because of the, fine. But you can't say it was a good performance. And you can't deduce that he's a good player because he did a bad job with bad players. That's not how that works. At best, you can say he had a bad performance because of bad players, and we can't know for sure whether he's good or bad. That's the best you can say. Now, on the other side of things, despite the fact that he had a bad performance, I thought it was interesting that Shannon Sharp had brought up a stat about his QBR. I think he said he had an 80 I forget exactly what it was. 60, 80 something QBR was low. And it brought him from like a 14 to a 23 overall on the season. Let me just look. I think QBR is kind of a. I think it's kind of a dumb stat, but it's what they reference. So I just want to get the numbers right. No, I don't think any of that is. I don't think any of that is right. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Let's just summarize it this way and say he was horrific with. Carolina. He was bad against the Rams, which brings him up to an average performance of really quite poor. And I think from, I'm not even going to say Shannon's perspective, because I don't think this is his real perspective, but from the perspective that he is representing, which is believed by a lot of people, this was actually a really good performance based on how bad Baker is, and it's all downhill from here. I don't think that there's any way to definitively know the future, but there is a, a case to be made for what makes the most sense. As I've sat here and said a thousand times now, I don't understand, and, and this, this also happened recently with the Green Bay, Green Bay Packers. I don't have the, the clip queued up. I had it, and then I decided not to keep it, but it would work here. But um, somebody, I think they were talking about the future and said, you know, well, I don't believe in the Packers because they're, they're just so bad. The roster is just terrible. And I said, since when? Since when? 
I understand they're having a bad year this year, which is, by the way, getting better. But it's it's this this inability to see the big picture, and everybody can only focus on what's happening right now. And what's ha- you know, I, all I can see is what's the record today, and then extrapolate that out over the entirety of the past, and say this is all the information that exists, and then draw a conclusion from that going into the future. That's what people are doing with Baker Mayfield. They look at what he did in Carolina. They pretend that's the only information that exists about Baker Mayfield. And then they use that to extrapolate into the future. And if you do that, you look at it and say this Rams game was bad, but it was also an, an, an anomaly in that it was one of his best games. I don't know if that's true, but that's what's being implied. Therefore, you should expect regression. That's one way of looking at it. I think the more accurate and more likely way to look at it is that this was a borderline subpar game for Baker who has played several years for another team and was not a terrible quarterback. He had his ups and his downs. He had times where it looked like he was going to be a great quarterback. He had times where it looked like, you know, if if he just had a little bit of help, maybe they could get this thing going. And there were other times when you realize this guy, this guy, he's kind of like Kirk Cousins in a sense where if things are going well, he can be a big part of the reason why, but also he's the reason that this team is not getting where it needs to get. Bad decisions and, you know, picks or whatever. But, but here's what I think makes more sense to me with Baker Mayfield. It's not that this Rams game was an anomaly in his favor. The guy had about two weeks to prepare. I think the anomaly was the Carolina Panthers. I think if you were to rank situationally where is the best place for Baker to showcase his ability, you would have the Rams number one, you would have Cleveland number two, and you would have Carolina number three. He went from Cleveland to Carolina and went from a mid-tier quarterback to the worst quarterback in football. Now he's going to not only a better situation than Carolina, better, but a better situation than Cleveland, in my opinion. It is a similar system. The same guy that is the head coach there is, is, uh, came from the Rams. But the guy that did it in L.A. is in L.A., as you can imagine. That is to say, I think it's more likely... Considering, again, he had just a handful of days to prepare. And also, when you look at it and say, well, it's, it's the similar coaching system and style. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's going to help him to get acclimated. But he's not all the way acclimated. The point is, I think he gets better, not worse. That doesn't mean Hall of Fame superstar quarterback, but I think he does get better. He's back into the system that he had in Cleveland with a better head coach, a better play caller, not a better team. He had a, an, an elite offensive line, elite running backs. He had, I don't know how many different wide receivers from Odell Beckham to Jarvis Landry to who knows who. They, he, had, he had plenty, of, plus a, a dominant defense in, in Cleveland and couldn't make it, make it work. But, but just so we're clear, I don't think that what we're going to see is regression back to what he was in Carolina. I think that's a silly expectation. I think what we're going to see is closer to what Baker was in Cleveland, which was a better quarterback. In other words, better than he was last week. Even though that's not to say that he was great last week because he led that comeback and he's going to be even better. No, I think he was bad last week. I think he'll be better this week because he has more than five seconds to prepare and get acclimated with the L.A. Rams. So if we put this into practical terms here, just so we're clear, in Carolina, Baker had a 52.2 overall grade. Largely, his worst games came in the first three weeks. He was getting better in Carolina. It was 47, 48, 46 is how he started. Then it jumped to 58, 66, 60, 57. Ended with a 52 overall grade. His first game in Carolina was a 61 overall grade. 62. And again, that's with no real preparation whatsoever. What was he in Cleveland? Now, 2021 was a bad year, which is maybe why everyone hates Baker, because not only could most people not remember beyond this year or this week for that matter, but they remember, they can't remember beyond, you know, last year, which was a down year for him. Lowest in terms of yards, lowest in terms of touchdowns, um, it's right in the middle in terms of interceptions, but when you look at touchdown to interception ratio, it was pretty terrible. However, his first three years in terms of grades, 83, 75, 85. I'm telling you, the guy is not a bad quarterback. He might make bad decisions at bad times or whatever, but when you talk about consistency, when you talk about a guy that is mostly on a down-to-down basis, a really, really good quarterback, that's Baker Mayfield. 
And so with his 61 or 62, do I expect him to go back down into the 40s like he was the first three weeks of Carolina before he kind of figured that out and got up into the mid, let's just call it 60s? Or do I think he claws his way back to what he was in Cleveland? I'm not saying I expect an 85 overall game from him because, again, there's the issues with the, the team in general with L.A. that are going to hinder him, and it's, it's still just you know a week and a half into him being there. But the point is, I do expect Baker Mayfield to improve in this system under Sean McVay. 2020, 80, again, 85.7 overall grade, 4,030 yards, 30 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. That ain't a bad season at all. Big-time throw percentage was 5.8%. Turnover-worthy plays, 2.8%. Baker Mayfield that year was the ninth-best quarterback. Um, he, was, he was roughly top 10 in just about every category. Big-time throws, turnover-worthy plays, uh, PFF grade, 15th in yards, 11th in touchdowns. So anyways, that's my thought. I, I think he is a better quarterback. I know for a fact he's better than what we saw in, in Carolina. I believe he is better than what we saw last week. But no, I don't believe he's going to tear the league up, or, or the, especially this week or, or any other week, with the L.A. Rams, who have been struggling as much as they have been. However, there is an interesting question to be asked. Who's better, Baker or Matt Stafford? Remember, Matt Stafford was stuck in Detroit, went over to, to the Rams, and never really became an elite quarterback, 846 Passing grade, uh, 86.1, which is, I mean, that's that's great. But again, that's roughly what Baker was a couple years ago. Are we sure Matthew Stafford and Baker Mayfield aren't very, very, very similar in terms of their abilities? I would argue that they are. Now, maybe Matt Stafford is significantly better. He was just in a significantly worse situation. I don't know. It's hard to argue that considering we're talking about the Cleveland Browns and Carolina Panthers. But that, that's that's sort of where I'm at. I think Baker is about as good as Matt Stafford. Whatever that means to you, you take it at what it's worth. Now, in terms of the rest of the team, as was brought up, I want to go over the injury report because I have not done that. Um, out for the Packers is David Bakhtiari. This was expected. We've been expecting Zach Tom to play uh, pretty much this whole week. Not really sure David Bakhtiari's status. Um and also, I don't think I've ever seen unspecified before, but Romeo Dobbs is unspecified, but he is expected to play as, as much as I know. He's been a full participant in practice. Very strange to see unspecified there. Um, but for the LA Rams, uh, Marquise Copeland is out. Aaron Donald is out officially. I know the Packers are talking about we need to prepare for Aaron Donald and all that stuff. He is out. He didn't practice all week um, with an ankle injury, officially not playing. Traven Howard, linebacker, out. David Long, groin injury, out. John Wolford, the quarterback, out. And Brian Allen, the center, is questionable. They are dealing with some pretty serious injuries, obviously. I mean, the, the by far the best player on their team is out. And, and let's be honest, and, and I'll, I'll look at it here, but if that makes the difference as far as run defense goes, all bets are off. That was the one thing that kept the Rams in this game was Aaron Donald. And to be honest, maybe this is the reason that the, the spread was set. It's, I should check it now that see if it moved at all. Aaron Donald is officially out and the line stayed exactly at seven, which tells me that the uh, bookies knew that he wasn't playing all week, which explains why it was a seven point favor. Because I, I thought that that was way too strong in the Packers favor. Aaron Donald is officially out and they're like, oh yeah, it stays at seven. BS. You freaking knew he wasn't playing. And lo and behold, we probably shouldn't be all that surprised, but if I go look at the PFF grades for the team, the LA Rams, and I sort by run defense, the second worst game they had stopping the run was this week 14 game in which Aaron Donald was not there. And I, I, I think that was the most, I, I had mentioned that the most they had given up, I think was 165, and I was talking about the Packers apparently need 175, and it was this past week against the Raiders. Donald wasn't in that game. Week 12 was the second worst game that they had stopping the run. So their two worst games came in the last three weeks, one of which didn't have Aaron Donald. I mean, just just think about what that does. Even if Aaron Donald himself isn't exactly a great run defender, which I'm not saying that at all, but even if, the point is what he's able to do allows you to do things in a different way in other places. 
The reality is Aaron Donald is a solid run defender. Actually, he wasn't in week 13 or 14, is that right? So he missed the last two weeks. But 75.6 run defense grade and a 90.7 pass rush, which is, by the way, the other aspect of this. Generally, when you have a really solid front, not only can you stop the run, but you're able to rush the passer with just those guys to varying degrees. But the point is, we don't need to add other people to our pass rush, and we don't need other guys down front to stop the run. The reality without him, however, is that your next three, the the next defensive tackle that you have in line is Greg Gaines. Greg Gaines has a 59 run defense grade, a 41 tackling grade, and a 59 pass rush grade. After that, you have Sean Robinson, 68 pass r- uh, run defense grade, 54 tackling, 52 pass rush, and then Marquise Copeland. These are going to be your, your front three throughout the game. With Aaron Donald, he was obviously the top dog, most snaps, all that stuff. Marquise Copeland, 73 run defense, a 52 pass rush. Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald has 40 pressures. Do you know what the other three have combined? And granted, he's, he's played more snaps, but at most he's played three times more than Marquise Copeland, just for reference. Sounds like a lot, but wait until you hear this. Do you know what the total number of pressures for the rest of those three is? Aaron Donald has 40. The other three have 14. 14. And Greg Gaines has played nearly as many snaps as Aaron Donald. 593 compared to 615. He has 12 pressures compared to Aaron Donald's 40. Ashawn Robinson has played half the amount of snaps. He has five compared to, compared to Aaron Donald. Copeland has played uh, more than a third, but let's call it a third. He has six compared to Aaron Donald's 40. Aaron Donald has five sacks on the season, which is relatively low, to be honest. Do you know how many sacks the rest of the three have combined? Zero. Not a single sack from a single defensive tackle not named Aaron Donald. The entire season. Not one. What about their edge rushers? They have Leonard Floyd from Chicago. 69 run defense grade, 64 pass rush grade. The last solid game he had was against New Orleans in week 11. Not surprisingly, he hasn't had a single good game since Aaron Donald went out. Um probably because he draws so much attention. When you go from being uh, not anybody's focus at all to being the number one concern of everybody, things tend to fall off. He doesn't have a single sack since week 11. His run defense grades in, in those weeks, 46, 64, and 59. Pass rush grades, 66, 61, and 59. He's got a healthy amount of pressures, no doubt about it, but not a single sack. He's definitely doing a, a, a solid job generating pressure off the edge, but that's it. Then you have Terrell Lewis. Uh, actually, it's, it's somewhat of a healthy rotation. Uh, Terrell Lewis, funny enough, the other guy behind Terrell Lewis was Justin Hollins, who is now with the Green Bay Packers. He had the well third most pressures, but he's not there anymore. He's not with us. Terrell Lewis, 332 uh, snaps, 174 rushing the passer. So you're looking for about 17 pressures. He has four, four pressures in a sack. That's their, that is their number two pass rusher. And honestly, for the season, Leonard Floyd is sub-10% also. He's just been on a little bit of a run here as far as, again, pressures, not sacks. And then they got Michael Hawked, um, who has 10 pressures and two sacks on the season, um, 61 run defense, 50 pass rush. They don't have anyone along this defensive line, defensive tackles and edge rushers, that can do really anything outside of Leonard Floyd, who's not even getting a good pass rush grade, but he's got a 70 run defense grade and, and can generate some pressures. The defensive front is bad when you don't include Aaron Donald. Now, when you look at linebackers, Bobby Wagner, somehow that freak is probably the best linebacker in football. There's another big part of your run defense. 91.1 run defense grade, 73 pass rush, 91 tackling, and an 80 coverage grade. The guy is an absolute freak. He is as consistent as they come. He had a two-week stretch where he kind of struggled uh, the week before and after the bye, 64 and 46. Otherwise, 72, 79, 84, 76, 90, 82, 79, 84, 70, 82, 79. I don't think I've ever seen anything that consistent. Bobby Wagner's 32 years old and just will not quit. So he, he is, in my opinion, the best player on this defense. Jalen Ramsey can shove it. Is he good? Yes. He's not Bobby Wagner good. He's not Aaron Donald good. But that right there is... So you've got essentially Bobby Wagner, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey are kind of doing this whole thing. Troy Hill also grades out pretty well and gets no credit, but Aaron Donald's out. 
Bobby Wagner's a linebacker. And so you got Jalen Ramsey after that, and that's about it. The other linebacker, Ernst Jones, is is fine. 66 overall grade, 79 run defense. I mean, again, stopping the run is, is going to be led by the linebackers for sure. But there are certainly ways to mitigate that. And I think the Packers, with all their motion, I think they should, I really do believe they need to use that heavily. If you're just going to line up, you know, one back and kind of smash him up the middle, Bobby Wagner is going to wreck your life. You have to stretch this thing laterally. You have to make it so that they can't cover enough ground. Put Christian in motion. I trust, you know, our guy's ability against Jalen Ramsey or Darian Kendrick to try to make, in fact, run at Darian Kendrick. That dude's run defense grade is, is, is abysmal. I mean, his everything grade is abysmal, but um, yeah, run at him. Force him to make a play. Force him to get off a block against Alan Lazard. At, at the very least, cause the hesitation. Take away that first step from Bobby Wagner. He's still going to be really solid, but if he has to hesitate and just make sure you didn't give it to Christian, if they have to realign because somebody's coming in motion and they got to they gotta respect it, which essentially eliminates one of the linebackers, take that advantage. Let's not try to play heads-up football against one of the better run defense teams in football. And I understand Aaron Donald's out, but I still don't really want to go toe-to-toe with the linebackers and just expect to win because I don't. Final thing I wanted to look at, uh, because we've been looking at running and all that, I wanted to look at uh, passing against their defense. I haven't really looked at this before, but somebody had made uh, a comment about uh, the Rams struggling against deep passing. Unfortunately, I I have to look this dead in the face also since we're here. Passes against defensive backs that are 20 yards uh, in the air or more. Jair Alexander has given up the second most yards um, 11 targets, five completions, 228 yards, and two touchdowns. However, Jalen Ramsey is also on this list. Um, nine targets, five receptions, 207 yards, and three touchdowns. He's given up more touchdowns on deep passes than uh, any other corner and the sixth most amount of yards and tied for third in receptions with our guy, Jair. If you look at total EPA, the third worst corner on passes targeted 20 yards down the field or more is Jalen Ramsey. It's J.C. Jackson, then Amik Robertson, then Jalen Ramsey. Minimum of five targets. It's definitely an area of weakness. If you look at inside of the, inside of 20 yards, so 20 down to negative 20, um, Jalen Ramsey ranks 54th, which is still not all that great, but he has a negative 2.71 EPA, which negative is positive when you're talking about defense negative is good. He's significantly better. If you look at inside of 10 yards, he ranks 41st with a negative 4.7. So as you can tell, the closer to the line of scrimmage he is, the better he gets, which kind of makes sense for a guy that is primarily a zone corner. When he can kind of drop back and hang out, keep his eye on things, break on the ball, cover guys in short spurts, he can, he can hang with the best of them. But running with guys down the field, not really his thing. So, as I said, he's probably not going to be running with Christian Watson very much, but I invite him to do it as often as possible because I think it's a favorable matchup in our favor. Plus, let's be honest, Jalen's quick, but he's not Christian Watson quick. In, in the combine, he ran a 4-4-1. I'm guessing he doesn't run a 4-4-1 anymore. So if he's running a 4-4-5 and Watson, Watson's running a 4-3-5, again, this is not what you want. Especially when, again, it's, I know 40 time doesn't always translate. It translates with Christian, 100%. So we need guys that can attack up front, but but I think the real benefit here is if this team genuinely does struggle with deep passing, and they also are going to struggle with pressure in this game because Aaron Donald is out and don't really have a ton of other guys that can generate it, we have the opportunity to really put the linebackers, who are probably the best strength of this team at this point, in a real bind. Because obviously we're going to run the ball, but we're also going to stress you laterally with our motion. So you have to cover up, and you have to cover wide. Again, I had mentioned how we need to attack the middle of the field. That's an Alan Lazard thing. That's a Romeo Dobbs thing. That's a uh, Robert Tunyon thing. But also, we're going to stress you deep. The linebackers are going to have to cover a lot of ground. Because the great thing about Christian Watson is, even when he's not the target, he stretches things out uh, horizontally. No, laterally. I've been I've been saying it backwards. <laughs> we're we're going to stretch you horizontally the linebackers, but also laterally, because he's going to run really, really deep. And what that does is it pulls the safeties deeper. 
which means the linebackers have more ground to cover, making it harder for them to do so. And so if you want to run downhill and try to stop us stopping the run, that just creates an even bigger gap in the middle of the field. So the entire point of this is push the safeties back, create a gap between the safeties and the linebackers, so that if, if, the, if Bobby Wagner wants to play up and try to stop the run, we're going to crush you with play action. If you're going to respect the play action in the path, that's going to help us by taking you a little bit out of the run game, especially if, again, we're actually stressing you horizontally. And that doesn't just mean motion. I mean, you got those, those tosses to Aaron Jones, which we've seen in A.J. Dillon that have been pretty lethal, uh, depending on the game, just one after the other getting to the sideline. The entire point of this offense, honestly, the West Coast offense in general, is to make you cover as much ground as possible. 11 guys is either a lot of guys or not a lot of guys, depending on how compressed we allow them to be. If we make them cover more ground, 11 guys is not enough. It's not enough. And again, this is, this is the biggest asset that Christian Watson brings to this team. And, and the, the, the biggest negative would be if, if there's a strong pass rush, we aren't going to be able to develop the deeper routes, which is going to compress what it is we do. But without Aaron Donald, I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. Final score prediction, man, oh man. Um, I'm not going to do my little DVOA math thing because there's so many weird things with Aaron Donald being out and the Packers are this, that, and plus they're coming out of a bye, which usually is a negative, but it's also a primetime game in Lambeau, which is always a positive. Um, Plus we play the Rams well, generally. I'm going to say 27-20 Packers. Although it's probably, let's be honest, it's probably going to be closer than that. But there's your seven-point spread, I guess. Anyways, you guys have a great day, and uh, be sure to check out uh, Packernet Podcast on YouTube. Come hang out with us. should be a fun time. Have a good one. Bye-bye.